Aloha. So this episode was recorded at the Hawaii Farmers Union United State Convention on Maui, and it's with Hunter Hevelin. And uh, the first part of the uh, podcast, it's an interview between myself and Hunter Hevelin. And then the second part of the podcast going on is um, his talk. Uh, I recorded the audio of the talk from the conference or the convention. And so the second part is um, his talk, which um, there's some data slides that go along with it. But I think a lot of the messages that he overviews and outlines are uh, very valuable and uh, appropriate to... uh, you know, um, sustainable agriculture, permaculture, how we're moving forward, uh, what are we even doing with agriculture, and uh, very happy to have uh, the time to sit down with Hunter, so uh, hope you enjoy the show, um, aloha. So uh, welcome to the Microbial Secret Society, um, sitting here with Hunter Hevelin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, would you uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Um, I'm a PhD student at UH Manoa. My research in the Department of Geography is focused on interventions to support local agriculture in the 20th century and how to do it better in the 21st. My background is I work a lot as an agricultural planner and uh, taught permaculture design courses and did permaculture design work for a number of years and now in the ivory tower. Yeah, yeah. It was, from what I know, you're you're fairly legendary. I mean, when people talk about their roots, it's like hunters. You you come up a lot. I was on the permaculture pulpit for a while. It's true. Um, it's, yeah, kept, so me, I, kept me busy. Maybe I'll be back. <laughs> well, you never escape permaculture. Never, yeah, it, the, the glasses <laughs> don't come off. So yeah. Um, so, so I just watched your presentation. You just presented a fair amount of data, and I, I always love data-driven presentations because um, it it takes so you know it, it really gets to the the root of what are we doing and what what have we done. Um, so, do you have any uh, in like your end of it? You kind of concluded in socialism, though, and and so <laughs> the the conclusion wasn't supposed to be socialism. The conclusion, well, so. The three projects were a statewide farmer needs assessment survey, an assessment of climate change impacts to crop suitability across the state of Hawaii, and then development of a local food price index. Um, the, the joke on the socialism, sort of Marxism part, was that the, the top barriers from producers that were identified in the needs assessment were labor, land, and capital, which are sort of the critical, critical pieces for Mr. Marx. Right. His assessments um, many many years ago. Right. Well, so so do you do you think in this type of thing some sort of central planning was there? I mean that that was kind of from what I heard that was what the government's conclusion was. Well, we'll bring in larger corporations instead of like empowering the proletariat. I don't no uh, central planning. I mean the the I don't think it was. I think you may be ascribing too much forethought. Oh, okay, <laughs> um, and so I don't I don't believe that it was so much an issue of central planning. It's more that the the department has to react to the decisions of the legislative branch and the decisions of the executive, but also has its own constraints, right? So looking at the sort of the, the bottlenecks that needs it needs to work through, right? It's you're given double local food production by 2020. Mm-hmm. How are you 
and you know the former chair was like what are you talking about right right, you know, right. that was his uh, <laughs> that's not quite verbatim but i think if if there was a an eye roll um that you know i think he, he didn't see it as actually no i won't speak for him but <laughs> i think that he had serious questions about the utility of such a goal yeah 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 reasonably um, so but in in pursuit of that goal and the broader goal a longer term goal to double local food production by 2030 um again by by making these these goals and then creating these dashboards to try and measure things they become tools that are utilized to to pursue what were what were designed to be you know sustainability outcomes and help local agriculture but i think in practice are bearing out to be mechanisms that are forcing the hand of administrators and decision makers in the planning department to f- emphasize projects that are going to be already able to fund themselves, right? So if you have 0.4%, 0.4 of a percent of mm, 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 the mm. state budget, mm. what do you, how are you going to try and even dream up? How, are you, how do you have the freedom to even think through what a project to address the needs of 7,500 farmers would be? It's just not the, the it's, resources, it's just that it's raw right? form. Yeah. Um, and so, while these sustainability goals, I think, on on their face value, can be can be valuable and powerful, it's important that the state uh, focus on not just the productivity, but about the livelihoods and the live the the farm families that are impacted by this, right? And so, if we can double our local food production, but there isn't actually an increase in the number of family farms that are viable, does that really benefit us? If we've got local food, but the capital flows globally, mm, 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 is that this mm. is that what we were wanting? Right? And so, some of my research is a lot of my research is then focused on that, thinking through who benefits from this. Um, and at current, I think from the perspective I heard this week from some aspects of the Department of Agriculture, that they're they're a little hamstrung by the funding limitations, and so they they just need to do what's expedient to work in the timelines that they are given. Mm, mm. So, so I mean, maybe that that isn't the necessary answer to the Department of Ag because they are so hamstrung, but that facilitating out, outside things, I mean, you're here at the Farmers Union. How do you see Farmers Union interfacing with this? I think the Farmers Union in, in particular has a role to bring together producers to find cooperative mechanisms that allow them to function better in the existing marketplace. And... Looking at you know family family farms, mostly smallholders, mostly you know they are they are the labor force for their right, operation. Right. That by bringing together those resources, whether they're physical infrastructure, capital pools, um, market, or processing facilities, that that's that's really the only way I, I can foresee many of these groups to persist. Or not just to persist, because can continue to function at the margins, but to take a more central role to catch the eye of the state. Right? Mm. It's like the mm. capital capital flows to the victor. Right. 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 With, yeah. There's a gravity to money and success, <laughs> and so demonstrating that success and being and working together, if that's, that's what's needed, and I believe it is, um, in many cases, will be a mechanism to bring the state around, right? And looking at the, the success, say, of the Ulu Cooperative. Yeah, um, yeah. That these, these cooperative measures that bring together 
labor in particular um, can be very, very, it can be invaluable. Uh, and so, and then also your presentation had a bit of ecology in there. You, you approached it from the idea of uh, climate change, like weather, weather uh, you know, climactic changing. Um, you know, what, what are your perspectives on the ecological parts of this? Hmm. Um, thinking of it as a design problem, I guess. <laughs> um, the, yeah, the modeling work. really starts to engage designed ecologies, right? Like if we used to be able to design around a baseline, you know, you'd have hazards that you were likely to face. But mm -hmm. now with, with, what was it? I think it was two years ago. I had friends with farms on east, north, and west parts of Oahu that all flooded in the same, like, few-week period. Now in Maui, we've had record wildfires, right? Like these are what we used to maybe think of as hazards are now like active issues on, a, on an increasingly frequent basis mm -hmm. uh, that we have to find ways to design around and designing complex ecological systems that still provide the, the functional diversity while accounting for the response diversity. That's um, going to make for some really interesting new new species structures and conceivably new market structures to build out around them. Yeah. And, and your modeling there is like, you're, you're doing future predictions, right? I mean, it, like you're trying to, you're trying to be ahead of the curve on this, right? That's the idea. Yeah. Is that if we can take, I'm, I'm not modeling the climate itself, but I'm taking climate modeling outputs and utilizing that to try and understand crop suitability and how that will change over time. Mm -hmm. And then being able to pair that with what we know about hazards what we know about shifting precipitation and temperature regimes and ideally link it up with some of the pricing information that we have about markets and be able to support farmers to make decisions that are going to be economically viable, ecologically sound, and climactically durable. Hey, oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, on a on a personal note, what I what I know you from is one time I went over and we had a thing called Beast Feast. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Beast Feast. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, I've I had a good run. I don't want to say it's it's uh, the the casket has closed, but it would certainly be a corpse reanimated at this point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a a good party for a number of years. That started as a dinner of all the things that I would hunt or butcher i did i still do barter butchering work for folks that raise mostly small game and i'll come be their hatchet man and take a portion of the meat instead of as payment cool um and then when the freezer got full i'd dole it all out to friends and they'd cook it up we'd come together there have a big big meal <laughs> at some point that turned from meal into it's grand mayhem. fed and three days of cleaning but uh, <laughs> I suppose, uh, I can't remember who the quote was described to directly, but something about like, like permaculture is just about having really good dinner parties. <laughs> and I, I do feel like I, I, I at least, at least did that. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Thank you. Well, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Oh, much, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> See you. <laughs> oh, oh one, one last thing. Where, yeah. where can people get in touch with you? Oh, um, yeah. Anybody can go to my website, supersistence.org. Um, it's like subsistence, but better. So S-U-P-E-R 
S-I-S-T-E-N-C-E.org. Cool, cool. Yeah, thank you, Hunter. So now we'll get on to Hunter's presentation at the Farmers Union Convention. Regional data gap. I was working on a project with the Galbraith lands in central Oahu, as well as trying to coordinate a network of producers uh, also in central Oahu, and realized while we're trying to design new agricultural parcels to support the needs of producers, nobody knew what the needs of producers were. Um, and so in that context, as well as the statewide goals to double local food production by 2030, which was the Aloha Plus Challenge, and then the governor's initiative, the Sustainable Hawaii Initiative, double local food production by 2020, um, we thought maybe if we're going to be doubling food, we should understand what the barriers are of farmers to doubling their production. Uh, since the last data that there was to go on was an opinion survey in 1956, again, the last statewide farmer needs assessment that I could find was from 1956. I'm sure all of you have participated in innumerable other surveys, right? There's ones focused on organics or new farmers or lady farmers was a recent one. So there's no manner, no shortage of targeted industry analyses. The last broad opinion survey that I could find was not a statewide survey, was a territory-wide survey. So obviously there's a little bit of need for this. That we wanted to identify the key structural obstacles to for farmers to double their production. And ideally from that, helping to identify the key interventions, supports, and programs that would address those barriers and enable producers to participate in addressing these state goals of doubling production. Uh, it was administered through a, I hope, painless uh, five-minute online survey uh, and asked participants a series of questions about what are your primary barriers, or you can write in your own, and then what would be the solutions to those barriers or write in your own. And then some basic demographic data. Um, sent that out through a survey website, uh, spammed a bunch of you probably a few times, uh, and then also uh, sent out through a bunch of key organizational partners. USDA, Farmers Union, for example. Uh, but almost 500 people started taking the survey. Half of them decided to finish taking the survey, uh, which is not bad for in something that essentially just went out over the course of a month uh, by email. And in terms of responses, majority of them from the Big Island, followed by Oahu, about equal for Maui Kauai. We had one person on Lanai respond. Thank you to whoever that was. Um, but again, this was designed to be a sort of initial project. This was supposed to be something that was going to be statewide with field days and all sorts of stuff. We had very little money and very little time, so we just shot it out there, figured we'd get what we can. From the demographics of who participated, we had a lot of new farmers, a lot of farmers not making a whole lot of money, uh, and a lot of farmers in smaller parcels, and many who were not particularly reliant on agriculture for their dominant income, which to some degree is representative of the broader statistics across the state, but does tend small farm, does tend new farmer, does tend not reliant on agriculture for income and not producing much in terms of economic output. Um, in terms of the top ranked issue that people selected as their number one barrier, is farm labor, land, capital, and a whole slew of other things. Since the the people chose a selection of three, we did a ranked choice voting process, which then ended up with the final result after running through various rounds of eliminating things that were rated lower with labor, land, and capital. Unsurprising, I would imagine, to all of you. 
Um, but what we did find is that 76%, so this approval rate, 76% is that of all the people who took the survey, 76% of them listed either land, labor, or capital as one of their top three issues. So what this means is that when we start looking at what the solutions are that people have selected, access to more labor, access to more land, and access to capital for expansion were the top selected solutions, that it helps the state or regional organizations understand how we might want to go about addressing the needs of producers to participate in doubling production. Um, some old pictures from the 50s. Obviously, this is, these have all been issues for a long time. So those, that's the statewide results. Also then tethered this to the regional development plan areas. So you can go to hawaiifarmersurvey.com, scroll around a map on there, and see for each region what people said their primary barriers were and what they said top rated as the solution to address those barriers. So ideally, we can then use this for advocacy to go out and push for our elected officials, your community-based organizations, nonprofit organizations, whoever is else is out there supporting local agriculture, to say these are what, at least initially, what people have said their issues are. Can also start grouping these by kind of not quite macro region, but this was a study I did for Kamehameha Schools over the summer, looking at the North Shore, Central, and Eva parts of Oahu, and then grouping that area and rerunning the analysis to see how things change. So there, the three issues across those regions were labor, land, and farm infrastructure. We can then also start teasing apart the groupings based off of, say, if these are people that are only up to 25% of their income comes from ag, their issues being labor, land, and infrastructure. Whereas for people that are more reliant on their income, it becomes labor and diseases. This starts to make sense, right? As you're, as you're not maybe that reliant on agriculture for your income, access to land is possibly a greater issue, right? You're probably newer into the operation. Whereas as you're established, you're deriving the majority of your income from agriculture in particular, then you start facing different kinds of issues. So it helps us tease out what the changes are over time based off of where people are in their operational timeline. We can also then pull out all the different crops. Uh, this was a shoestring rollout, but we want to reproduce it uh, ideally with more participation. We're trying to get the state involved, but based on my meeting with them this way or this week, I have now zero hope of that actually happening. Um, more on that later. Uh, all right. So thanks to Chaos for for the funding, NAS for answering a million questions. Rapidly moving along. Um, next study being looking at assessments of climate change impacts. Uh, Post-plantation era, again framing this a little bit around the uh, doubling lo local food production goals, but essentially took a, a crop model that utilizes all sorts of base layers from slope, pH, drainage, temperature, precipitation, uh, etc., and a crop database, as well as working with some uh, local experts that pulls in crop information about what the parameters are for how that crop grows and then spits out, uh, essentially runs through a model, and then spits out a suitability map for across the state. So on a scale of 0 to 100 based off of all those parameters I listed, you can then say, all right, this is probably where something would grow well. And then we change the, up, the climate parameters from being the most recent 30-year data set to our late century projections, and then can start showing the difference between those. Right, so how is suitability going to change across the state for given crops? Uh, this is for Ulu. We can see that central Oahu will be losing some suitability, but more of the Maka lands will be gaining suitability, and that's based off of changes in precipitation and temperature in particular. 
Um, we can then also start pulling out what areas are optimal currently and will be optimal in the future and which areas are optimal for production across this coming century. So that way if you're targeting crops to potentially invest in, you can start identifying which lands are going to be best suited or for the land that you're in, which crops might be best suited for the longest period of time with the changes that we expect to come. Um, we can also start layering these together, right? Running a bunch of different crops through there and then finding what the optimal overlay is for multiple of those. So for example, if you're the state and want to say, we're interested in supporting local agriculture, which land might we want to consider investing in to ensure that they persist to be part of agriculture and are going to be useful for the greatest number of crops for the longest period of time. Uh, but we also want to try and vet how this data comes about. And so we are rather vet what comes out of these, these models. So there's pulling economic data and spatial data to identify different crops, um, of which there are a number, but uh, just to sort of demonstrate one, um, looking at papayas in Puno. So we can pull up a recent 2015 baseline survey of land, uh, agricultural land use and zoom in on the Puna lands and then see what the papaya suitability mapping shows for this area currently and in the future and then what that change will be and then overlay what our current papaya production areas are. And then we can start to see that producers in this region, obviously this is a whole different landscape now, uh, but producers in this region are much more vulnerable to climate change than producers in this region. And so conceivably, if there was a, say, a State Department of Agriculture interested in supporting producers to adapt, they might want to consider what other types of crops that people could utilize, or what other lands might be viable for those crops to persist production with in the future. Um, there's a number of limits to that that are far too boring and long to get into for this, but it essentially does rely on a rain-fed um, presumption. So fortunately, the crop model does also well, that's it for our free episode, so join us at www.microbialsecret.org for the full episode, and join the Microbial Secret Society. So uh, may the beneficial microbes be with you. Aloha.